Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the cannabis reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop. We're at the start of Autism Awareness Month, so I really wanted to dedicate today's show to it. And rather than going into my usual um, opinions <laughs> in a monologue, I just really want to get right to introducing our guests. I cannot think of anything more devastating for a parent than learning that your child will have special needs, and especially if your child was developmentally perfect for a few years and then suddenly uh, was diagnosed with autism. When we began this journey last year, we interviewed three mothers of special needs children. Um, each of them had debilitating illnesses and one with autism. They were all frustrated with the pharmaceutical protocols that had not only failed to make their children well, they actually made their children's conditions worse. Each of them had witnessed firsthand miraculous results using cannabis to treat a variety of those conditions, from autism to cerebral palsy. Today, one of those mothers is here to talk about the miracles she's experienced with cannabis ever since then, Brandy Williams. Her son, Logan, has autism that was so severe that he couldn't be around other children or even attend school. And when she learned about cannabis, she wasn't sure how he would respond. A year after beginning treatment with medical marijuana, Logan is leading a much more normal life and allowing the family to lead a more normal life as well. Today, she'll be joined by Dr. Christian Wagner, who's a champion in the effort to help families with autistic children learn about and access medical marijuana as an alternative to the dangerous pharmaceuticals. He's been researching and lecturing about the benefits of cannabis for the autism spectrum for the last decade. Fighting to change legislation in several states to have autism added to medical marijuana programs and developing new treatment modalities are his core interests. He's published several articles about the complexities in autism and cannabis as an alternative treatment. And for him, his interests are very personal. He knows the issue very well. He is a parent of an autistic child himself. Before I bring them on, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute update. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner? Thank you, Snowden. 
Autism is a very important topic in our country today, and I'm happy to speak about this briefly. Autism is a complex syndrome with a wide spectrum of severity, from barely noticeable attention deficits and learning disabilities to extreme catatonia and self-injurious behavior. For families, learning a child is autistic is often heartbreaking, and answers are often difficult to find. What makes it more devastating is the uncertainty that comes with the pharmacological medications that are used to treat this condition, as they can often cause debilitating side effects and have a narrow therapeutic window. Scientists and researchers have yet to definitively confirm the exact causes, although there are a number of theories being explored. Whatever the cause, the fact remains that, to date, there are no known cures for autism and our current treatments are marginal at best. In the recent years, however, we have seen some compelling testimonials from parents who have chosen to forego traditional pharmaceutical treatment and use medical cannabis as an alternative. For some physicians and healthcare providers, abandoning conventional medical protocol takes a leap of faith, particularly since we lack the clinical studies proving the efficacy of treating autism with medical marijuana. But with mounting anecdotal evidence, testimony from parents who swear it helps their children, and further clinical research in the pipeline, medical cannabis is absolutely an option that should be explored as a treatment for autism. I'm looking forward to hearing what Dr. Christian Bogner, one of the leading experts in medical cannabis and autism, has to say about this today. He will be speaking on the subject at our upcoming World Medical Cannabis Conference and Expo later this month. If either you or someone you love is dealing with autism, I highly recommend attending the conference and letting your physician know about it. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for the Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden. Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. Look forward to hearing from you again next week. So let's get started. Um, Dr. Christian Bogner, I am really delighted that you are here today and um, also joined with uh, Brandy Williams. Uh, the two of you, I think, will lend a nice depth to this discussion. So thanks to both of you for joining me. Thank thanks you for having in. us. We're excited. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Dr. Uh, Bogner, let me start with you, because I know that you have been dealing with um, uh, this issue of autism for quite some time. Tell me how you came to learn that medical marijuana might be a great alternative. Uh, great question. Um, well, uh, as you heard from the introduction, um, is many parents are not satisfied with the mainstream treatment modalities, which are usually heavy pharmaceuticals that are even dangerous for adults. Uh, we're talking about antipsychotic medication, you know, and that we use off-label for these children. Um, they have a whole plethora of side effects. And most of the time, it's just treating different uh, symptoms, most of the time trying to control aggressive behaviors and, uh, like in my case, personal case, uh, failed. Um, and so my interest in this is because uh, I learned about cannabis and I saw the effects of cannabis on these children. And then rather than, uh, rather than being satisfied with what the mainstream has to offer, I basically reverse researched this and I w wanted to find out why is it working for these children. And, and that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, over the years, uh, we've formed huge coalitions in several states. We are uh, very progressive with this. Uh, currently, we have two states that um, allow 
autism specifically to be uh, added to the, or it is added to the medical marijuana program, uh, which is um, Delaware and Pennsylvania, uh, and in California, which has the umbrella uh, possibilities for the physician to basically give medical cannabis for any condition. Uh, and currently, there's Texas and Georgia who are very close. Uh, in fact, today, Georgia just passed the um, the House, and it's going to the Senate now, so they're very excited and wonderful efforts, even with the House representatives that support those uh, things. Yeah, and uh, and so we're moving ahead with this, and uh, and that's uh, very exciting. And yes, uh, there's some great science to back up cannabis as a valid modality for children with autism. Um, and I'll leave it up to you how deep you want to dig into the science of, of why that is. But uh, yeah, it, it yeah, is I'd very, like very... To. I would really like to hear um, in depth about the science. Um, you know, it always surprises me that that certain states do not have autism, uh, any spectrum, listed as a qualifying condition in their medical marijuana programs, and like it is here in Arizona. And fortunately, there, you know, there are a number of conditions that are broad enough that um, you could almost say that most children with autism might even have those conditions. You know, that do qualify. Brandy, I know that you had that issue here in Arizona because um, autism is not a qualifying condition here, but I think that Logan actually had additional symptoms that did qualify. Is that correct? Yes. He had um, several comorbid conditions and epilepsy being one of them. So that is how we um, gained legal access here in Arizona for Logan. and. Uh, I just have to say, by the time Logan was three, his aggression really picked up. And by the time um, we didn't identify the seizures until later on, I thought they were tics. He was having what were uh, what they call absent seizures, and the um, the developmental pediatrician picked up on those and sent us in for an EEG, and he was diagnosed with you know epilepsy. So. Um, uh, by the time he was four, they wanted uh, Logan to be on Risperdal and um, for the behavior and um, Keppra for the seizures. And I had already been going to several, um, you know, mom's groups. Uh, there's so many groups for autism nowadays. I could go to three meetings every week. And I've always been active um, trying to help my son and and improve the quality of his life. We had gained early intervention when he was two. So um, I've talked to a lot of moms and um, the stories about Risperdal were horrifying and the Kepler didn't work and they had constantly had to alter their children's medication and it wasn't really helping. Yeah. So um, I um, have a very sensitive <laughs> A very sensitive family. A lot of uh, family members have really bad reactions to pharmaceutical medication. And that's what led me to seek other options for my son. Um, I actually have a direct cousin who had a dystonic reaction to Risperdal. And um, that's something that scared the daylight out of me. And I, I just, I did not want to put my son through that. So... Mm -hmm. Is, is Risperdal a benzodiazepine? 
that's a good question for Dr. Bachner. I, I didn't, it wasn't ever an option for me. So I, I, um, I, I'm not sure. What are your thoughts about that? It, what, what kind of a medication is that? Um, Risperidol uh, is considered an uh, antipsychotic medication, oh, okay. um, and the, the problems with risperidol, and, and in fact, there's it is actually an, uh, this is one of the only medications that's FDA approved for treating aggressive behaviors in autism. The problem with the risperidol is it not only has it a huge list of side effects, but it's about eighty to ninety percent of these children have excessive weight gain, and that's a huge problem. Um, I, I see a lot of patients that have, uh, they weigh close to 250, 300 pounds. Uh, They've been on years of Risperidol. And so this is really not a good option for these kids, in my opinion. Right. So, gosh, um, Brandy, when, when, when Logan was two, is that when he was diagnosed? Um, he, he regressed at one years old. And, um, I brought it up to his pediatrician, and they just kept telling me that, um, you know, boys were slower. And um, so it took some time to get them to listen to me, and he was diagnosed um, just before he was three. Okay, and, and, and there was... kind of when aggression picked up. And right. by four, the doctor, we couldn't even bring him in for a doctor's appointment um, <sighs> without him, you know. Um, just destroying the office and biting and ripping my hair out. He wouldn't even walk independently. Um, <laughs> we had to bring Logan to the into the doctor's office right when they needed to see him, and then we had to bring him out of the office and have him sit in the car with the um, habilitation specialist. Um, why? While I went back into the doctor's office to you know discuss my son because we couldn't. We couldn't even have a conversation over his screaming. So, um, yeah, that's just heartbreaking. And was this, do you know how this was brought on? Okay, I, I can talk about so, that if you want, because yeah, I, I'm going full, full blown ahead against the uh, CDC. Yeah, I would like to do that. Dr. Bogner, you know, often we hear about children who are developing normally and then, you know, suddenly they, uh, they're diagnosed with autism because certain behaviors start, um, you know, after you would, you would think that it's something that they would have from birth, but what are your theories on this? Well, uh, Snowden, let, let's look at the, uh, the facts. In 1980, the uh, incidence of autism was about uh, one in 10,000. Um, and at that time, which was about 30 years ago, a child by 15 months received eight vaccinations. In 2015, uh, a child received uh, 24 vaccinations, and the autism rate is 1 in 68. That means over the last 30 years, we have a 13,000% increase in autism. And Snowden, I just let you know, this is not because we diagnose autism better. This, the answer is vaccine, and I'm standing fully behind it, and uh, I can prove it. You know, that is, I've heard this from a number of different people, and I do have an occasion to talk to a lot of parents who are dealing with autism, and so many of them feel that way. Um, 
because they've noticed a change after, after the vaccine protocols. I mean, is there anything being done to, you know, on a clinical level to research that as a theory? Um, there's no study that the CDC backs up that compares vaccinated versus non-vaccinated children and compares the autism rate. Yeah. I mean, and, and some people also point to, like, the heavy metals that are in the soils that are in the food that we eat. And, I mean, you know, I think that, that from a logical standpoint, you would think that, like, genetically modified um, food sources are also contributing to this because of the heavy amount of herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, um, it, all of that. What do you think about that? Well, in, you know, if, if you want me to explain this from, from A to Z, it's probably going to be about a five-minute run to, to kind of walk you through a typical um, normal child development and then why this child develops autism. You yeah, want me to do that? I would love you to do that because at, at the end of that then, what I'm, what I'm trying to um, arrive at are some really good solid medical reasons that um, parents with children of autism should consider medical cannabis as an alternative. But I'd like to hear first, like run through some of the um, physiological characteristics. Okay, very good. Well, imagine this. Imagine you become pregnant. And when you're pregnant, you take prenatal vitamins. And you also take um, a glucola test when you're 28 weeks, which is a sugar test, which is corn-based. And you also receive usually about two vaccinations, which is the Tdap and the flu shot. Now, I mentioned these things because all of these things that I just mentioned contain a chemical called glyphosate, which, as you mentioned, is an herbicide, which is also known as Roundup, produced by Missouri company Monsanto. Um, this chemical, we have a plethora of studies that confirm that uh, it causes inflammation of the bowel. It's a, it's a very acidic uh, molecule, um, and it's contaminating vaccinations. It's contaminating prenatal vitamins, and it's contaminating all of our food sources that are soy-based and corn-based, which is pretty much 80% uh, of your supermarket food contaminated with, with glyphosate. Um, and so this, this chemical starts leaking um, already in pregnancy through the placenta into the fetus, uh, starting its action. And um, it doesn't stop there. Once your child is born, um, you know, you have the first vaccinations directly into the child, which is hepatitis B, and it's been found in hepatitis B as well. But also in formula, eight out of 10 women by six months uh, uh, supplement their child with formula. And it was found in Infomel and Similac. And it even was found in the breast milk uh, of mothers because they consume genetically modified food. And so, again, the, the problem with this chemical is that it causes gastrointestinal inflammation, and that's very well researched. Uh, it starts to then cause a syndrome called leaky gut syndrome, which is uh, basically the way you want to imagine this is when your when your um, when your gut starts leaking protein into your into your uh, bloodstream, you're not supposed to absorb protein. You're actually supposed to break down protein in your gut and then absorb the amino acids. But if you absorb protein, then your immune system will cross-react to that because it's too big of a molecule, uh, and you start developing uh, basically a systemic uh, inflammatory condition. The problem is that then this glyphosate... Uh, um, 
molecule destroys an enzyme in your liver. And, and that was very well researched by Stephanie Seneff, who's probably the authority, the leading authority of uh, glyphosate in this country. She's out of uh, MIT. Uh, and and so it, it, it inhibits an enzyme in your liver. It's called P450. And this P450 enzyme is an enzyme that your liver utilizes to basically detoxify the body. But it also produces a compound called GCMAS, which is a very powerful um, uh, molecule that you can imagine being like a Pac-Man, a Pac-Man that eats up all this protein that you started leaking into your into your body. So uh, again, if you don't have that because the glyphosate inhibited that, then you have cr- uh, permanent inflammation in your body. So that is the case. So imagine this baby being colic, and the pediatrician tells you, oh, the baby will grow out of it, and when in reality, the little baby's gastrointestinal tract is inflamed because of the formula's glyphosate contamination. And then, then all of a sudden, you get a vaccination. And the thing with the vaccination is this. Uh, it's, it's really um, all of the vaccinations uh, nowadays are, uh, contain aluminum. Um, the thimerosal, which was the mercury, is really not anymore in, in, in any vaccinations, just a, a, a couple of them. And I think it's the meningococcal or pneumococcal, but nothing that really the child is exposed to in the first 15 months. And what they place, why they place aluminum in, in, in a vaccine is because the aluminum will bind to the specific antigen um, of that virus that you want to get immunity against. For example, if you want to vaccinate a child against mumps, measles, or rubella, uh, you you put an, a, a little part, an inactivated part of that virus into that vaccine, and that binds to the um, uh, to the aluminum because the aluminum will present that antigen longer to the body, so you have a stronger immune response. Um, and we call those uh, little particles uh, adjuvants. And these adjuvants were added to vaccines in the 1990s. That's when really the vaccine rates skyrocketed. And usually we inject those things into the, uh, uh, into the baby's uh, uh, upper thighs. And so the question is, how does the baby... Uh, uh, become autistic because usually we, we believe that autism is you know a brain problem, and it is. But as I mentioned before, when you have a systemic inflammation because of all this protein that leaked into the, into the body, your body really doesn't have any chance uh, to eat up the uh, adjuvant with the aluminum. So it starts traveling and it actually crosses the blood-brain barrier. And this is when it really gets interesting, uh, when the aluminum with the specific antigen starts entering the brain environment, that's when trouble is starting because you have to remember that the brain environment is completely different from the rest of your body. We have the blood-brain barrier that only passes certain molecules through, but once that leaks through, you have a completely different response than what your body is uh, creating uh, immunity uh, against the virus that you injected. So um, what happens in the brain is really revolutionary in our understanding, and that just really came to the surface within the last several years. Um, You have a little cell in your brain. It's called microglia. 
And a microglia cell is actually, there are so many microglial cells in, in, in your skull, they uh, outnumber your neuron, your brain cells, by 1.5 to 1. So those little microglia cells are a phenomenal cell. They, um, they, if you want to imagine like a little cell with uh, like tentacle arms, they're basically the surveillance cell of the brain environment. They sense the most little threat, the most little molecule, or the most little uh, uh, abnormality. They immediately sense that and uh, alert other cells that there's a threat because the brain um, wants to protect itself, of course. And so it needs to alert other cells to take care of the threat. And so let's say the little aluminum that was in the vaccine, which is bound to the antigen, let's call it AS04, for example, because that's the first uh, adjuvant that gets injected into the baby. AS04 is a, a adjuvant that was produced to uh, create a response. And that's, for example, in the hepatitis B shot that the baby gets uh, in the first 24 hours of life. And so you inject that into the baby and AS04 crosses the uh, brain and it it puts these microglial cells into a pro-inflammatory state. What that means is that that little uh, antigen uh, docks onto a receptor of that microglial cell, and the microglial cell then uh, releases a lot of what we call cytokines. Cytokines are just little messenger molecules that alert other uh, microglial cells to come and fight the threat. Your brain doesn't know that there's no viral infection or bacterial infection. You injected the antigen for it. So the cells basically think this could be the biggest viral infection ever. So it recruits a lot of cells to take care of that. And that basically is uh, an inflammation of the brain is starting to happen. And it's an aseptic inflammation. It's not an infection. It's not a, a bacteria or a virus that takes over the brain but it's an adjuvant, so you still create that inflammation uh, in the brain. And that's, uh, that's the beginning of autism, uh, if, you, if you want to understand that. And then you get, um, what was it, 24 vaccines until the age of 15, and you have different, adjuv different adjuvants and different vaccines that uh, activate different receptors on the microglial cells. For example, we have um, the MMR virus, which has the rubella in it and the measles, both of those particles that they put in there are very powerful activators of microglia. And um, hepatitis B is uh, docking on a different receptor. So by the time you hit one year of age, all of these different vaccines activated all of the receptors on microglia. And once they are in an inflammatory state, the microglia, you usually can't kick them back into an anti-inflammatory state unless you send a signal to it. And what I mean by that is that usually your brain has its own protective mechanism of kicking back into the non-inflammatory state of uh, microglia. But unfortunately, that doesn't work either because there's another chemical in the vaccines that we found over the last year. And that was uh, great work by Stephanie Stanoff and by Zen Honeycutt from Moms Across America. They found that Glyphosate is contaminating every childhood vaccine that's out there, specifically MMR in the highest concentration. And as I mentioned earlier, T450 in the liver 
is also in the brain. Microglial cells have P450. So the bottom line is that this glyphosate also leaks into the brain and inhibits the brain flipping out of this uh, inflammatory state into an anti-inflammatory state. So the brain cannot self-correct. It cannot self-regulate. And you're in a permanent inflammatory state, basically, it, uh, to uh, say it's it, more simple. It's, that is fascinating. Um, tragic, but fascinating. And I'm wondering, I mean, is there, is there no way to, to reverse that process it once it starts? It is. The, the process is very reversible, uh, in my opinion, at least. So, as I mentioned, you need to send a signal to these microglial cells, basically telling them, hey, you all relax. Uh, stop being so angry. Stop being inflamed. And usually, like I said, the brain does it itself, and the microglial cell has this enzyme on there where it actually pulls your own endocannabinoid. Uh, and I hope I don't have to <laughs> explain too much what the endocannabinoid system is. I think your audience probably very well understands yeah, I think, that. Yeah, I think they're, they're pretty close to understanding it, yes. So endocannabinoid system, you have two endocannabinoids that are mostly studied, anandamide and 2-HE. Anandamide is, uh, you, can, you can say it's very parallel to the plant THD, and it docks onto a receptor called CB1 usually. But what your brain does, in 13 different brain regions, we have a very high production of anandamide. Our, it's a neurotransmitter that we produce as we speak right now. But it pulls that molecule, the anandamide, the microglia do, to produce a different uh, endocannabinoid. And that was studied at the University of Michigan, that it actually produces a CB2 uh, analog, uh, which is 1,000 times stronger than CBD. And that molecule is called 5.6 EETEAS, if anybody wants to look that up. And that is 1,000 times stronger than um, um, CBD, like I said, and docks onto the CB2 receptor to kick the microglia out of the inflammatory state. Now, it cannot do that because glyphosate inhibits the P450 enzyme to do that. Uh, what? And, and so the, the conclusion is that uh, basically uh, all the research that I've done, I have uh, multiple, multiple sources that confirm that cannabis, specifically THC, uh, kicks the microglia into the anti-inflammatory state. Wow. So, okay, so now that, that explains it incredibly well. So, Brandy, I'd like to go back to you on this because... Um, that's sort of the scientific explanation, but what I'd love to hear from you is the anecdotal evidence that you've seen. Once you started giving Logan uh, cannabis therapy, it was whole plant, is that correct? Uh, meaning, yes. Okay, so tell me what happened once you started, once you started giving Logan cannabis. What were some of the very noticeable effects and how has it been going over the last year since we talked about this? Well, um, I noticed within the first 20 minutes of his first dose, um, my son had this stiff, rigid hand flap, and it looks very uncomfortable. And he has bruxism, which he grinds his teeth. Um, all of his baby teeth are pretty much flat. Um, and he had a really loud-pitched verbal stim. And he kind of just, um, his body just relaxed, and he came and he sat down for the first time. My son used to just stand there and um, 
jump up and down. He gets a lot of input from that. And he would just pace back and forth all the time. Um, he was um, a nervous wreck, you know. And um, so within the first 20 minutes, he was very calm. And um, I was so surprised. Okay, I'm so sorry. I had to go get <laughs> Yeah, I know. I understand. You have to get your son. But go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So my son also, he never slept. He would lay in bed for hours. We'd have everything off. And he would, like, flop in bed like a fish. I had to, He had to sleep in our room because he had the seizures, and he never slept. We had to sleep with one eye open and, and sleep in shifts. Um, he would have to jump up out of bed and get input. He would, like, jump up and shut the door five, six times, lay back down, flop around, get out of bed again, open the washer four to six times. And so... You know, eventually he would pass out from exhaustion. Um, after we gave him cannabis, um, he could crawl into bed when he was tired and fall asleep without stimming, without thrusting his gut, because he also has gut issues. Um, he <laughs> Sleep is so important. I have gotten sleep every night since my bed. My son has been in bed before nine o'clock wow. ever since cannabis um i didn't even realize how important sleep was but um yeah i mean you were really dealing with it and then and then also, we couldn't even own furniture he would uh he took the backs of he would take the chairs and slam the backs of the chairs down to the ground until all of them broke um we had no, every single door in our house had a hole in it from his head. Um, I had a metal front door. There was over 30 dents in my metal front door when we moved. Um, my son put his head through a double pane window. He knocked out his own teeth. Um, he's head butted a brick wall. Um, you know, I have scars all over my arms from him biting through my skin. Um, he used to, he wouldn't even walk independently. I had to carry him on my shoulders and he would bite my scalp and rip my hair out with his teeth. Um, oh. You know, and people just stare away. I couldn't take him anywhere. He um, And people will think you're a bad parent. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, they don't know what's going on, you know? I can, and, I can only um, imagine. I, I feel like I had to wear autism awareness stuff all over me just so people would get it. And even then, you know, he would have a really loud verbal um, stim. He was really uncomfortable and he couldn't tolerate his environment. It was way too overwhelming for him. Um, I couldn't even get him to wear clothes. He would rip his clothes off. I had to get him a high top shoes. I had to get him some Converse so he couldn't get his shoes off. And he would take, lift his head and like hit himself in the head with his shoes. And um, I'm really glad that I had a hab worker in my home for 40 hours a week because um, it's necessary. Oh, uh, so yeah. But now, now, Brandy, I mean. We almost got kicked out of behavioral um, therapy because they couldn't even help my son. Yeah. And we, we started interventions um, before his official diagnosis 
you know, so he's had therapy ever since he's two. And I just don't know. But now, tell me, tell me what's going on now, because it's been, what, uh, about a year, right? Since you No, he's had access, access to, uh, to cannabis since June of 2015. Okay. So within the first two months, he added uh, over 180 words to his vocabulary. His ATEC score dropped 56 points in six months. Wow. Um, which is a huge deal. That's a, that's a We've big. tried a lot of different interventions. We've looked at um, heavy metals. We've done hyperbaric oxygen therapy. We've done a lot of different modalities to help Logan. And um, they were short-lived. You know, you saw a little improvement, and then you'd go back. And then you'd see a little improvement, and you'd go back. Um, cannabis has been consistent. He continues to amaze me every day. Um, my son is now in school. Um, I couldn't even bring him to school. I couldn't get him I couldn't get him to wear clothes, and I couldn't get him into the car to even get him to school. Now he gets himself dressed. and. He uh, is so much cognitive. He's so much more aware cognitively. Other day, I asked Logan, "Hey, where's your shoes?" And he went around and looked in all the spots where we leave his shoes. And two years ago, I couldn't call his name. He wouldn't even look at me. Wow. So, so now it's it's like you have your son back. Oh, he's engaging with people the other day we were at walmart and we were talking to one of the employees and he came around and stood right in front of him and looked him right in his face grabbed his hand and said hi wow and he says hi and bye to everybody now um i we couldn't even get him to sit down at a therapy table now he will sit down at a therapy table for an hour and attend to a therapist-led task. So, um, you know, my son couldn't even function to do therapy. Now that he has relief, he can actually function and work on academia and, you know, behaviors. Yeah. Before he was, I, I can only imagine what he was going through. I mean, to want to beat your head, you, you must be in some kind of pain. And that's the thing that us mothers are told, is that it's a, it's a autism behavior. Um, you know, it's a genetic, you know, disorder. And, you know, here's some Risperdal and a script for a helmet. But mm. a helmet's not going to stop my son from banging his head. Right. It's only going to soften the blow. Yeah. My, son has, my son was banging his head 75 to 150 times per day. We had that hab worker mark those. And I haven't seen my son headbang in so long. I haven't been headbutted myself in so long. (laughs) Speaking of, I did get a concussion at one point from getting headbutted from taking a banana away from Logan. Oh, my goodness. Brandy, your story just touches my heart so deeply. Um, God, I I remember the first time we had you on, you brought me to tears, and you've done it again. I... It's really hard to not, I don't know if you can hear my voice shake. Because I I, it's really, yeah. it's really hard not to cry. You've been, I am you've been so proud of my it. son. I, I just can't say that enough. 
Yeah. Oh, and uh, you know, I and you know, I've actually I made a we had to take him in for some stitches. Um, we ran out of cannabis for three weeks, and you know, you could tell like after day two with no cannabis, the behaviors start to come back. It's harder for him to you know function, but as soon as you get him his medicine, he he's good. Yeah. So, Do- Dr. Bogner, um. Has this been your experience with parents who have tried cannabis as well, that the effects are almost um, almost immediate? Absolutely. And that's exactly the reason why cannabis works, because of these microglial cells just switching. Imagine it like you, you're drinking 10 tequila shots and some other alcohol, and then you're in a room, and they turn off the light, and now somebody tells you, go to the sink and brush your teeth, you know, somebody calls your name, you don't really know because it's so dark and you're so drunk, your, your brain just doesn't work, and then you should navigate through the world when the light is off. Cannabis is like putting the light switch on immediately. The, the effects are really profound. And, you know, Brandy is just one of those, like, brave parents that comes on the radio and talks about this. There's a whole underground movement with this where a lot of parents, they don't want to talk about it, but they see the tremendous effects. And, you know, just uh, you should join some groups on, on, on social media, like Mama, the Mama group out of Texas are probably the biggest one. Um, and that's why we're changing law in states, because it works. This is not bogus. And, you know, we have the evidence that backs it up. And we just need the legislators to listen and understand, and, and they agree. And so I think we're at the point where, Every state should make this at least an option. for. We're not trying to change autism treatment. We just want to change and help these parents from getting prosecuted. You know, it's their choice. It's not the state's choice. It's a parent's and their doctor's choice to use cannabis, not the federal government's. And that's why this is such a big problem. We just mm-hmm. want to protect them. If they choose that for their child, let them. Right. Cannabis has never in the in the history of human uh, of humans killed anybody. So what is the big deal? Resveratrol certainly has killed children. Yeah. So you know it, it's it's a it's a it's a big problem. And um, well, yeah. the only option I was given as a parent, honestly, was the helmet, the Risperdal, and please consider putting your son in a group home. Right. So, and now you have um, him going to school, and uh, you know it's because of a plan. Son, and, and like you said, he can actually function in therapy and in the school setting. I had to homeschool my son. You know, it's not only us parents that have to deal with these children in society. It's our teachers. It's our doctors. I couldn't even have my do- my son in the doctor's office with with his doctor. You know. Yeah. Um. So uh, our first responders, our police department, our emergency medical, you know, they talk to them. They have to deal with these severely autistic populations. Um, every pro- medical professional that I have dealt with with Logan is absolutely blown away. Yeah. And they are, are very much encouraging me to, um, you know, in- influence uh a policy change here in Arizona to add autism to the qualifying list. Yeah. Oh, I, so. We have so much work to do. And, you know, I would really love to follow up this discussion with both of you. I'm getting this signal from our producer. I cannot believe that our time has gone by so quickly today. 
but um, I, I, I'm so touched, um, Brandy, by the progress. I'm so delighted to hear that uh, Logan is doing so much better. And Dr. Bogner, what you're doing is so incredibly important. And you know, I really am looking forward to following up with you on this discussion. And I'll see you in Pittsburgh at the um, at the uh, medical cannabis event. And uh, I just have to say thank you both so, so much um, for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Snowden. And we really appreciate what you do to raise awareness and uh, shedding light on this. This is what we need. We need more people like you to, to have an open mind about this, even if it's about vaccines. And there's a lot of anti-vax movements out there, uh, pro-vax uh, aggressive aggressive people they uh, uh, attack us and uh, you know to, to to shed light on this is really a heroic thing of you to do so I want to thank you thank you so much I really appreciate it and and thank you Brandy and I'll follow up with you again soon too so once again that was Dr. Christian Bogner and Brandy Williams and I really appreciate them sharing their personal stories and work that they're doing and all of the progress and everything with us today. If you'd like to learn more about what they're doing and um, find out more about what you can do if you have a child or know someone who has a child who has autism, uh, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. I will put information on the website, click broadcast, find today's show, and uh, you will find some information about that. I'd also like to say thank you so much to Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. And a thank you a million times over to our producer, Wendy West of the Steemit World uh, Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. I'd also like to express our gratitude for our sponsors, HempMed.com and Defa Labs. We would not be here without you, so thank you so much. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, stay safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always Pure CBD is a new and unique fresh tasting spray product which delivers an exact measured amount of the highest grade 100% cannabis oil with each spray. Each tube holds a 30-day supply when used as directed. No smoke, no mess. For discreet use, Pure CBD can be used anywhere. Pure CBD from Zephyr Labs.